Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. <laughs> if you got a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to have uh, Mikey stand behind me here for a second. <clears throat> Hallelujah. 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 So my wife is a, um, is a professional therapist, and, um, and she has taught me a lot about the human psyche and how we become healthier as people. And um, <clears throat> uh, I, when I got saved, I had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ that completely changed the trajectory of my life. For those who don't know my testimony, um, I was a wicked knucklehead who did not grow up in church. And then in my mid-20s, I had a radical encounter with Jesus, and my life was completely changed, right? <clears throat> I'll tell the long testimony again. I haven't told it in a while. It's, uh, it's, the longer it's been since I've, I've, I've shared it, the crazier it would sound to you. Because um, if, and that's why it's important to keep sharing our testimony. For other people and for ourselves to recognize, I know where I came from. Right? And so I know where I came from. Um, and it, it, it was, yeah. And so um, my wife, so what, since I had this radical encounter with Jesus, my life was radically changed. I always had this, this ethos, this belief, this uh, theology that if I get people in the presence of God, they will radically change. What I, what I didn't quite recognize is that some people have no desire to change. And some people don't have a framework for what health would look like. Uh, when I got saved, at least I knew. At least I knew I was depressed, right? At least I knew I wanted to be happy, and I wasn't. Um, and, and, and so when I saw a way of ordering my life, I was able to run after it. But I didn't have compassion on those who had an encounter with God, and yet their life didn't actually change. It didn't, it didn't make sense to me. Because I just had figured, someone hears the gospel, they encounter the Holy Ghost, fill them with the Holy Ghost, then they're going to run after God. And um, what I didn't recognize was just because you switch locations doesn't mean that you've switched. There's people who travel to America from different countries that try to recreate the country they left in, in America. And don't hear that as some sort of weird immigration thing. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is, you know, if they speak English here, you might want to learn the language, right? I mean, it just kind of... Like, I've, I'm somewhere new. I need to figure out how to adapt to where I'm at. And when we get saved, we're moved into a new kingdom. And we need to actually learn to adapt to where we're at. And so in, in psychotherapy, they understand this uh, cognitive reframing. Uh, I need to reframe how I look at things and how I uh, perceive the world. It, it's why it grieves me when I hear pastors mock therapy, yet they're giving advice from the stage every week only difference is they're not actually trained to give advice and therapists are let's leave that out there for a second and so um through my own brokenness i have uh i have recognized the importance of watch this word discipleship of countercultural spiritual formation we spend our entire life being formed by the world or reacting to the environment we grew up in not recognizing that that's not normal 
We think whatever we experienced was normal. And then we meet Jesus and we keep our cultural framework and try to fit Jesus into it to get what we want. And um, I have this conviction. I have this conviction that Jesus came to destroy the curse of the fall. I'm going to say it again. I have this conviction that Jesus came and destroyed the curse of the fall. That may be the most important thing I say today. This conviction that Jesus destroyed the curse of the fall. I do not believe that the work of Adam was stronger than the work of Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the new Adam. And all those who are in Christ descend, descend from Jesus, not from Adam. The problem is we don't know how to live in this new world. And God gives us a free will. There's a revival, uh, people are calling a revival in uh, Asbury. And I always thought that we were taught in, in, in revival circles, those of you who have been around revival for a while, that the older generation never receives the new generation's work. It's like a pattern. But maybe the older generation saw what they called revival not work. And they're trying to warn a younger generation, listen, it's going to take more than one trip to the altar to change your life. Now, I like revival so much, it's in the name of the church, right? Like it's, okay, so I, I can never be accused of, I'm never going to throw stones at any revival. But what I do know is that God will not supersede your will. And if you desire to live like your fallen, old, nasty self, you can. And you live new on purpose. And so revival is like, it's like when, you're, when, you're, when your battery dies in your car and somebody jump starts you, if the alternator is not working, it's not going to stay going. You'll get home and it'll still be dead. And so you can get that jump start, but this alternator, this constant feeding of the battery by encounters with God and countercultural spiritual formation can, can, can continue to sustain the power that God touched you with in the revival meeting. And what we find out is people are living their spiritual life constantly needing a jump start without looking internally saying, why am I not being continually recharged on my own? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Amen. And so, as your pastor, if I had a... a let me just say it straight up. If, if I thought that, that um, Asbury was of the enemy, I would warn you not to go. That's not what happened. I did pray and ask God, should I go? And he said, no, that's for them. And what's going to happen is some people are going to go. And if you don't know what this is, there was a chapel service at Asbury College. It's a Christian college. They have the Asbury Seminary across the street. They had a regular chapel service. And uh, at the end of the service, they were very hungry for love. And because uh, the message was about loving radically. And so uh, I feel like I'm yelling. Can you turn down the, them just a touch there? I'll stop yelling. And I'll have a voice uh, 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 for the end of my uh, anniversary. Um, and so what happened was the students at the chapel didn't leave. And uh, they haven't left now for over a week, right? Well, I, they probably left and went to the bathroom and ate and whatnot and came back. But it's been going 24 hours a day nonstop. I think 24 hours a day. I could be wrong on that. But it's been going nonstop since then. And uh, you see this often on college campuses because college students are hungry 
that are optimistic that this event can change everything and they don't have jobs, right? So they can do that, right? Like they're, they're not going to be evicted from their, you know, from their house if they don't, oh, it's God. I don't need to go to work because God will provide. No, that's not how that works, right? You, you got to go to your job, right? And so we see this on college campuses. If you've been to a youth uh, retreat, you've ever been to, if, you, if you've ever been to youth camp, you've been to a revival because that's what happens, right? Um, and so if I had a, a check, I would say, don't go, but I don't. Uh, but the Lord told me not to go because what he's doing there is for them. Um, that doesn't mean it's not for you. I'm not putting law on anybody. And if you know somebody who's going, just bless them in the name of Jesus. I'm not because the Lord told me not to. And I was a little upset. But at the same point, um, why? why? Why was I upset? Because I need a jump start. Why do I need a jump start? This is the question we need to be asking ourselves. This is... This is the deep work to sustain the touch of God that I want to talk about today. I want to live in the peace of God. How about you? I really want to live in the peace of God. I want to be, I want to lay my head on my, on my pillow at night and be in peace. I want to be face to face with people who I know have been gossiping about me and still be in peace. I want to get the bills in the mail and still be in peace. I want to hear the, the bad report about friends and family who are in conflict and still be in peace. This is actually the promise of God. I want to be at peace. And I can go somewhere and get a jump start, and I'm all for it. And I'd like to be a place where people can come and get jump started. Right? But at the same point, I want to learn to live in the peace of God. Don't you? What I have found, though, is that living in God's peace is connected, not having peace with God is connected to not having peace with myself. We want that. And we want God to change the things that keep us from having peace with ourselves. Only problem is that's not how it works. And so we live jumpstart to jumpstart. Part of, do you have that graphic I sent you? Um, uh, we're doing this 40 days of devotion and, and the goal of this is to figure out what God values and let's value that so we can live at peace with God. That's, it's part of this countercultural spiritual formation. Um, there's a link from any of my social media from the link to, and it's on the website. It's somewhere. I don't know. We'll put it on the front page of the website. It's somewhere. I don't know. There's a link to get to it. Um, but I, I invite you on this journey or Starting Wednesday, it's 40 days until Easter Sunday, not counting the Sundays. And I would encourage you, and I'll talk about this in a moment, to just get a little introspective and focus on God. But I believe that the Word of God, that Jesus Christ, since He came to destroy the curse of Adam, I believe He has something to teach us about walking in the peace of God. And that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to start here and just read a short verse out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. And we preached on this a couple weeks ago. Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. How would you like to be rewarded by Jesus? Like, at, at your job, you get these little bonuses. If you work hard and overtime for a long time. Thank you, Mike. 
you work overtime for a long time, and then they have a pizza party, and you're like, I just made you an extra million dollars over this quarter, and I got a pizza? Without even pepperoni? And you got the pizza pizza, like the buy one, get one free pizza? What is really happening right now? Like, that is not... But Jesus, Jesus does things very, there's, there's, there's room on the front row if anybody wants to get close enough to the anointing to get in touch. I mean, there's, there's all kind of seats on the front row. You don't have to sit there, but I'll probably just bless you at some point in the message. There you go. Hallelujah. Uh, uh, but here, here's what I want you to hear as we start off. Here's what I'm going to frame this with. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. And so people say, don't, don't, don't worship God for what he can give you. But Jesus said, I have a reward for you. And be happy that I have a reward for you. That tells me on some level we're supposed to be focused on that reward. There is reward in heaven for you. Death is not the end, as this song said earlier today. Death is not the end. The Bible says that there's once to die and then the judgment. There is a life that we will live and then we will transition to another realm of reality. I plan on spending it with Jesus personally. I plan on spending it in the presence of God. Some people say, oh, do you still believe in, in hell, Pastor? I, well, Jesus did, and so I, I do, right? And then if, if Jesus said he didn't, then I wouldn't, but he just talked about it too much. And there's a lot of talk about, well, when he talked about this, it means that, and there was a fire pit over there. The only problem is there's no evidence of the fire pit until the 4th century, and so that, 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 that challenges me. And so maybe, maybe what Jesus said is what he meant. So why are you preaching about hell? I'm not trying to scare you into hell. I, I, I'm not worried about hell at all. Like I said, I, I'm not, it, it don't even cross my mind because I'm not going there. I'm not going to hell. I'm, I'm going to spend eternity in the presence of God and, and he has a reward for me there. How about you? Would you like a reward in heaven from Jesus? I, I would. And Jesus wants to position you for your heavenly reward. Can you say amen? amen. I, I, he wants to position you. He's teaching. He's talking. He's sharing his values so you can have this reward that he has laid up for you in heaven. It is not all about what happens here. Jesus said, I go to make a place for you. If Jesus said, I go to make a place for you, then he's expecting you to get there at some point. And there's something there that you're not going to get here. I want that. But at the same point, if I align myself with Jesus, if I align with him, I get a, a, a pre-taste, a down payment of that blessing here. I want to walk in his ways on the earth so I can walk in peace like he walked in peace. When, when we live our lives addicted re to rewards from people, we lose out on the real rewards Jesus has for us. When we live our lives for rewards here on earth, we miss out on the reward that Jesus has for us in heaven and on earth. If we live our lives unaware, unexamined, living our lives for whatever our carnal nature is telling us we really want and what will really bring us peace, then we miss out on the peace that only Jesus can give. And today, we want to dive in a little bit. I want to, I want to, I want to hopefully, the, the worship was so good, it gave you a little Holy Ghost anesthetic, because I may touch some things today, because I believe God wants to touch some things today to clear some room so you can have the healing balm of Jesus come in. Amen. 
Amen. I got, a, I got a bit of a bad shoulder, and I don't even know where it came from. And uh, I have two options that, the, that, the, that they, well, I have three options, actually. One is I could do nothing and just let it get bad. And so if I do that, then I just learn how to not use my shoulder. What they said was your shoulder is a little bad, and what we're seeing is some muscular atrophy because you're compensating by not using that anymore. And so you, you like, so now it's starting to deteriorate. So what do I do? I avoid the pain of the shoulder by not using it. And they said, what you need to do is do rehab, some little whatever rehab that's called, occupational rehab or physical therapy, whatever you guys know. I don't. And they gave me the exercise. I'm like, these are painful. They're like, yeah, it's going to be painful for a while, but it's going to strengthen the stuff around it and it's going to heal it. The third option is do nothing until it gets so bad that I have to have radical surgery. Then I bear a large scar and then I'm going to go through rehab anyways. And so we have this spiritual choice to make. You can avoid your issues and let that part of your life atrophy. You could actually do the work to get healthy so your body and your psyche can operate the way it was designed to. Or at some day, things will get so bad in your life and things will collapse around you, you'll finally yield to the change God wants to do. That's totally up to you. I would say, let's do the work now. Amen. Yeah, and so, so I believe Jesus in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount is trying to teach us. He's trying to teach us how do we walk in the kingdom of heaven. And so in Matthew chapter 6, we're there if you got your Bible, you turn to Matthew chapter 6, very familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, verse 9, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And you would say, now we're going to do an experiment. We're going to say this again, but we're all going to say it together. All right, we're all going to say it together. Are you ready? You ready, Suana? Fire it for me, verse 9, if you would, please. No, verse 9, there we go. You got it. Here we go. That's all right, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. We got it, we got it. It's, it'll be, you know, let's give it, just give a clap to our production team. They show up early, they do their best. Tell me when it's there. Suana's an expert, yeah, look at that. Now we're going to say it together, you ready? Pray them this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Did you feel something different when we said it together? If you notice, everything in that scripture is plural. It's collective. We have a collective faith that we're supposed to be walking out together, connected to the people around us, invested in their success, invested in their growth, connected, growing together. And Jesus is teaching his disciples, like, hey, you come up in a system now where it's every man for himself. But, but this is not how it's supposed to be. I want you all to be connected as a community. And this is why one of the key 
roles of those in spiritual authority in the church is to protect the unity of the saints. The, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He sows division and suspicion. Jesus comes and sows forgiveness, reconciliation, believing the best in your brother. You can always tell the work of the devil because he brings division. And so Jesus here is working on levels it's hard for us to really resonate with. See, we, we get it wrong. We, 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 we read this, and then we just think, uh, 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 oh, this is just about me and God, even though it's all in the plural. And Jesus knows that we get things wrong because we're so selfish, right? It's all about me and God. So Jesus keeps talking. Do you have verse 14 there? And he, he, he doesn't actually stop there. Verse 14, immediately after this prayer, he says, uh, let me explain this to you because I know you're not going to get it. He says, for if you forgive others their, their, their transgressions or, or sins, if you forgive others their sins, meaning what they've done to you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, say but, that means there's a conditional statement here. Conversely, they're having a good time. However, if you don't, but if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. How many times have you heard that preached? Not many. Because we don't want to believe that I have to do any of the inner work of healing to be right with God. I, I, don't, I don't want to have to dig up the offenses in my heart. I don't want to have to deal with my own attitude. I don't have to deal with all that. It's just me and Jesus. And Jesus is so loving and so forgiving and so beautiful that no matter what I do, everything I ever do is covered in the blood. And I said the prayer once when I was seven. And ever since then, I've been right with God no matter what I do. Because, but Jesus, but the, Jesus like, listen, I need y'all to listen. Like, look at here. Right? Like, he's like, if, if, for those Latinos, hey, mira, mira. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, this is, this is important. Because y'all are going to get this wrong. Because you're going to hear what you want to hear. Because you're not going to be formed by my real words. You're going to be formed by the culture that tells you the only one that matters is you. But you've got to undergo some countercultural spiritual formation to understand what Jesus is talking about. And he says, listen, if you walk around in bitterness and unforgiveness and judgment and blaming everybody else for your problems, you will not walk in the forgiving peace of God. You will not walk in the forgiving peace of God. Because... Forgiveness is like a muscle, and that muscle has to be exercised. And if you do not learn how to exercise forgiveness, it will atrophy, and you will become bitter not using it, and you will blame God for your lack of peace. And you can quote all the scriptures in the world if you want, but you will not get peace until you line your heart up with God's word. I see all kinds of people walking around bitter and judgmental, quoting all the peace scriptures, and none one of them work, because that is not how it works. It works where when you learn to walk in forgiveness, you will walk in peace. That's the promise of God for you, but that is hard. Why? Because the people I'm not in forgiveness with don't deserve forgiveness. They deserve judgment. They deserve fiery coals from heaven upon their head. They deserve the, the, the earth to be opened up like in the Old Testament and swallow them alive, right? Is that what, that's, what, that's what your enemies deserve, don't they? Like, yes, mine do. I don't know what yours are like, but my enemies totally destroy. They deserve to have the, 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 the fire of heaven fall upon them and consume them publicly, right? So everybody knows. I'm not the only one who's got enemies, right? But Jesus is like, yeah. Those are the people you got to forgive. 
And you're like, but I don't want to forgive him. And he's like, yeah, I didn't want to go to the cross. <laughs> I pray better than you, and I begged God not to go to the cross. I done done everything better than you, and I asked not to go to the cross, and I still went. Jesus said, if there's any way, if there's any way, this cup if there's any, can you imagine, any way, whatever problem you got right now, there's probably 50 ways out of it. Right? Any problem you got, there's got to be a hundred different ways you could get solved for your benefit. And Jesus is like, if there's just one, I can't even think of it. Jesus can't even think of the one way to avoid the cross. If there is any way for me to avoid this. But then he said, nevertheless, your will be done. And therefore, Jesus was able to walk in peace. There might be more to this than we've seen. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says three things, and I want to hit these very quickly today. I don't want to, someone talked about, I preach long, I don't know what they're talking about. I bind those words in the name of Jesus. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. That's the enemy come to distract me. Or I've been preaching too long. One, one of those two. One of those two. Uh, don't ask my wife which one. Um, <clears throat> so, okay, watch this. I want to do three very quick things I want to show you in Matthew chapter 6. We have been charting the Sermon on the Mount, we, we did the Beatitudes, and we did these teachings that Jesus did about just, just get, get your heart right. And then he says these three things throughout chapter 6. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, he says, when you give. In verse 5, he says, when you pray. Verse 16, whenever you fast. When you pray, when you give, when you fast. Not if. Jesus didn't say, if you, if, if, you know, I know you did everything else. And, uh, you know, if you get to the end of everything that you tried and you say, oh, I know what I'll try now, I, I'll pray, right? Like, Jesus, like, he didn't say, if you decide to pray at some point in, in the journey of your troubles. He said, when you pray, because he actually expected Christians to pray. Likewise, when, when, when you give, when, not if, when you give, when you fast, this is like this is countercultural spiritual formation. I keep saying it, but we have to be a people of spirit and word. What I believe God wants to do in our community, we have to build a wineskin that can hold it. Otherwise, people start thinking it's about them and they blow it up. If we do not submit our egos and our narcissistic thought patterns to Jesus, we will blow things up thinking. Whatever's good for me is good for everybody else. As opposed to what is good for my family. What is good for those around me. What is good for God. And so we need, we need these spiritual disciplines in our lives. And Jesus is telling his disciples how they're going to live counter to the selfish, fearful culture of their time. And, and uh, I'm going to hit these very quickly. And uh, I've preached on all of these, so I'm going to go quickly and I just want you to just go ahead and just get it in your heart right now. Jesus is going to challenge me today. Now, when you get challenged by the message today, I want you to not be mad at me. I want, yeah, we're still in introduction here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Natalia. Natalia's like, I just want to be clear about what's happening. Jesus is going to put his finger on some things in all of our lives. Other words, uh, otherwise, like, we're too mature for the word. 
which hopefully that's a revelation hurt you right there, right? So, so I want you to not be mad at me. I also don't want those of you who are perfectionists to think that everything I say means there's something wrong with you. You hear me? In this room, there are, most of us are on one side of the spectrum. Either there's something wrong with me and I'm waiting for the pastor to, to, to call it out, or I know there's something wrong with the pastor. I'm just waiting to hear what it is. <laughs> and then they're going to say something, and you're going to be like, ah, oh, no, I don't really need to be doing that. Now I don't have to listen to anything he said because I'm offended, right? Like, yeah. So let's try to be somewhere in the middle and say, Lord, if you have something to speak to my heart and convict me of, I want you to ask God, you know, can, you know convict me where I need to be convicted. Bear witness in my spirit that this is true for me. All right, are we good? Because I don't have a lot of time. I've got to just jump in here. We're, we're, dump, we're, we're going in the deep end, right? It's like, it's like when you come over my house for a barbecue and you jump in the deep end of my pool from the roof, right? Like you're going to get to the deep end. And this is what we're doing. We're jumping from the roof. Don't tell my wife. She doesn't like when we do that, but we do it anyways. So, so Jesus, in a society that believed, oh, Jesus, keep me on track. In a society that believed that society is built for the wealthy, and that, oh, Jesus, keep me on track, uh, where wealth equaled godliness, wealth equaled doing things right, Jesus says to them about giving. He starts challenging them to be generous. Generous. This is a countercultural thing. Generosity, you want to be rich enough to where you can give and it not hurt. That, that's what most people want. Like, I, if, I, if I win the lotto, then I'm going to help some orphans. You can help some orphans right now if you wanted to be generous. If I hit lotto, I'll help my mom. You can help your mom right now. You could go over there and fix her, her, her sink. Or you, you, could do, you could help people right now if you had a generous heart. But the truth is, if you became a billionaire, you'd just be a selfish billionaire. And most likely, you wouldn't be a billionaire long. Because you have not learned how to not allow money to dictate your heart. And, and, and we see generosity. Even the world has studied this. They, they, they've found that people who are generous have a greater satisfaction with life. Uh, they have more friends. Generous people, generous people have stronger relationships. They have a more positive outlook on life. They have better mental health and higher self-esteem. People, like this is, this is the world that studies the world and finds out God was right. This is all science does. Science has never once disproved anything about God. Science has disproved your interpretation of the Bible, but it has never once disproved God. All science can do is discover more of what God has done. Like, oh, Earth is 6,000 years old. I don't think God is hiding dinosaurs in the ground to trick us, right? Like, so we might figure out that, you know, he hovered over the, the Earth where it was formless and void, means the Earth was there at the start of the story. Right? So there might, we, maybe our interpretation is wrong. I believe that God created man and woman. I, I absolutely believe that. Um, I don't know how that happened. I don't, and I don't feel like I need to. That's not important for what I'm doing, right? I just know I need to follow Jesus. Well, what about the flood? I don't know. I wasn't there. Right? I know there was a flood because Jesus talked about one. So I, but I don't know what it was. But I know there was one, right? Like I don't, I, and I don't feel the need to. Are you with me? We have to be able to surrender 
our pride and ego that we know everything because you don't. All right, so, so, so what they have found in these studies is, you put this up if you would, when you are generous with your money, you tap into heaven's economy. When you decide to be generous, God goes ahead and says, oh, that person needs more of what I got. Now I will fulfill their need because they're fulfilling somebody else's need. Since they are using what they have, what I've given them stewardship over to do the work of Jesus, I will give them more in their lives. That's why when these people become billionaires and they decide they get this revelation, I believe it's from the Holy Ghost, to start giving radical amounts of money away, they talk about this great peace and joy that comes over their life because they have tapped into a kingdom reality that when you are generous, God gives you peace. The Bible says that, that, that he gives grace to the humble. It doesn't matter how you get humble, whether it be in jail, whether you believe Jesus did it or you have a near-death experience. There are so many people... I was just uh, talking to somebody recently who was uh, diagnosed with stage four cancer. And, um, and I was like, man, this is, and he's like, oh, I'm at peace because, um, because I, I, I've, I've made peace with God. And now, like, it humbled him for the very first time in his life. He got humble. People are like, oh, you went to rehab and found Jesus. Yeah, because that's where he is. He's with the hurting. He's with the broken. He's with the humble. Oh, you went to jail and found Jesus. Yep, that's where he is. He's in jail with the hurting and those who recognize, man, my life hadn't been running it so well. And they're actually humble enough to let God come in and say, I actually can fix some of this if you'll follow me. And so Jesus is telling us, man, he cares about your finances. Philippians, Paul says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And um, I believe, I believe with all of my being that when you tie your finances to God's kingdom, you unlock something supernatural in your life. Now, I, I absolutely believe it. I absolutely believe it. My wife, I got saved a long time ago. I don't want to say how long ago because most of y'all weren't born. And, uh, but I got saved a very long time ago, and I have never had a paycheck I wasn't faithful to God with in that time. And my, my, I'm, I've been married 23 years, and I am a broken man. And I was really broken when I got married. I had issues. Like, I thought I, here was my biggest issue. I didn't think I had any issues, right? I thought I had it all figured out. That was the great deception that I, they may have talked about in, in the Word, right? And, uh, and I believe that my finances, being faithful to God in my finances, has protected me from so much calamity. Because Malachi talks about the protection that you walk under when, you, when you're faithful to God with your finances. And I absolutely believe I am faithful to God with my finances. Every single, like we have a, my wife and I have a giving amount that we give, like above our tithe, like it's set. And no matter how broke we get, we, we, don't, we don't touch that. Like that's, that's like, that's not my money. That's God's money. And, I, and I, just, I just don't touch it. And since that's God's money, he protects the rest of my money. He's like, I need Carl to keep getting that money in because I need, I need a little bit, you know, I need a little taste of that money right there, right? So he protects my income. And on top of that, he blesses me in a way beyond my income. Because God is setting me up and protecting my life because my life is connected to his kingdom. Amen. And this, this is what I have found. As you decide to like do things your way, opposite of what God has said, I, I cannot imagine if, uh, uh, you know, it's like raising a three-year-old and they say, no, I, I do it. I do it. And you're like, no, actually, you don't do it. And then you're like, let me just cut the meat. I do it. No, I'm not giving you a knife. I don't trust you with a knife. You are not trustworthy with a knife. I saw what you do with scissors. I see what you do with crayons. You're not getting a knife, right? 
I do it, right? And, and you're there as a parent, and you're like, okay, it's a felony to hurt this child right now. And so I'm just going to control my inner man, and I have to feed them, so I'm not just going to walk away, right? Like, this is the frustration of a parent. And imagine, I just imagine when Jesus is telling you, listen, keep your hands off this thing. I told you I got it. And you're like, I do it. I do it. And God's like, if you could do it, it'd already be done. You would already be in victory if you could do it. The very fact that we've been having this conversation for five years, like, how do you not know yet that you can't do it? But God can. You can. Like, come to the place where you're like, I can't do it. I got all these plans. Like, I've done everything else. Maybe I just follow Jesus. And hear me. Some of you, are. this is going to wake up something in your life, and you're going to actually surrender that area of your life to Jesus. And you're going to say, I tried everything else. I'm just going to trust Jesus in this thing now. And God's going to show up in ways that you never could have thought or imagined, exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Jesus is going to come through on that thing, and he's going to work it out in a way that you could not even imagine he would work it out. I am a testimony right now that my life is radically different than I would have planned it to be. But it is more blessed in ways that I couldn't even imagine the kind of blessings I have right now. You say amen. And this is what God has for you. This is what God has for those who will submit to his plan, tie their lives to him. He gives you a peace that you could not have on your own. Amen. We are praying. I was talking with uh, the Ramples last week. We, we, uh, I believe, I, 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 I have seen every kind of healing. Sure, I've never raised anybody from the dead, um, but I've seen everything short of that. I've met people who were raised from the dead, um, but I've, I've never actually raised anybody from the dead. And I only harp on that because I've seen everything else. Name it, I have seen it. And they're like, but have you seen this? Yes, yes, actually I have. I've seen God put things in bodies that weren't there before. I, I've I've seen the blind see. I've seen the lame walk. I've seen stroke victims get up confused. Like, how am I walking now? I have seen it all. I've seen people who, like, cannot have children, ain't no way, ain't no how, have kids. Like, I've just seen it so, like, and, and I have no doubt in my mind if five of us decided after today's service, and if it wasn't my anniversary, and we decided to go out and just pray for people, we would see people healed today. I am contending now. I want to see that in people's finances. I, I, I believe that just as much as God hates sickness, he hates poverty. Luke literally says he came to preach good news to the poor. And if you're poor, good news is you're not going to be poor. Very little else matters when you ain't got food. came for the poor. And I'm, I'm believing a miracle. How about we pray for that right now? Now, now hear me. Now, if you, if, you, if you want a breakthrough, I'm not talking to you. I will believe with you. But if you desperately need a financial breakthrough, if you are like, if God does not come through, like having an incurable disease, you would need a miracle. If you need a financial miracle, I want, I want you to be brave and stand up because we're going to pray. We're going to pray. Ooh, I feel the compassion of God. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Now, just pray in the Spirit for a second before we pray for them. No shame on anybody in this room, but if you need a financial miracle and it's your fault, I want you to repent. You know, if you're spending all your money on, 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 on you know, things you ain't supposed to be spending your money on, now, if you're not working, that, that leads to it. But uh, just go ahead and repent. But we're going to, ha. All right, now prayer team.
Put your hand on their shoulder. Prayer team or the people standing near them, sitting near them. You are officially designated prayer team. And everybody else, I want you to pray. You can stand or you can sit and stretch a hand, and we're going to pray for a financial miracle right now. And then here's how I want you to pray, right? I want you to pray how you would pray if you're going to get evicted tomorrow and you got no food. All right, so let's raise our voice and let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I believe you would pray a little more vigorously than that. In the name of Jesus, we, we, we rush heaven right now. We declare that this is unrighteous. This is not the promise of God. And Father, we ask in the name of Jesus. Come on, people, pray. In the name of Jesus. Come on, pray. In the name of Jesus, we ask. We ask for the riches of heaven. We ask for um, generosity. We ask, Lord. You came for this. And we pray for breakthrough in the name of Jesus. Breakthrough. Keep praying. Breakthrough in the name of Jesus, Father. And I pray for everybody in this room who has a need. It's not as desperate. But they need, they need a bigger house. They, they need another car. They need, they need, they just, there's a financial need that they can't quite reach. It's not desperate, but they got a need, Father. You, you have more than enough money. You have more than enough wealth, Father. Money is a very small thing for you. You pave roads with it, Father. It's not a problem for you. And so I ask in the name of Jesus that you would pour out finances, that you would meet people in their jobs, and they would get raises and bonuses, benefits, sales, and commissions, Father. Father, that you would wipe out debt, that you would bring checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, the Holy Ghost hookup, Father. You would, you would bless them abundantly, financially, in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen and amen, amen. Give a clap off if you agree with that. When you give, hallelujah. I'm going to jump ahead, and he says, when you fast. Of all the spiritual disciplines, I, I, I seek the word to make sure they didn't make a mistake with this one. <laughs> People talk about biblical inerrancy, and I'm like, well, what about fasting? Like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I like that one. That one's, that one's not as great. Watch here, Matthew 6, 17. But you, look at your neighbor, say you. Just in case you're not sure, look at your other neighbor, you too. But you, you got that? Someone, Matthew 6, 17. But you, like Jesus trying to make it clear. Isn't that funny? He's like, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about you. But you, when you fast. So you haven't said it twice, you. But you, when you fast. Anoint your head, wash your face so that your fasting will not be seen by men. Watch this. And here's the part I want to I I get you excited about. But by your father who is in secret and your father who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. We see a, oh, I don't want to fast. It's just got to be, you know, he wants to reward you. And I want to position myself for that reward through fasting. I want to position myself for that reward. There is a reward. And, and fasting, uh, there's a lot of things people, people are like, um, you know, hey, uh, for, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, we're in my, Church is in a season of fasting, so uh, I'm, I'm not going to have um, milk in my coffee. I'm like, that, that's, that's, not, that's not actually a fast. That's, I'm not going to eat you know, I'm gonna dessert as much. I'm like, eh. Fasting is not a diet, right? So if you're doing intermittent fasting now, and then you just 
come Wednesday, you call it a fast, it's, you're not actually fasting, right? If this is like a weight loss plan for you, you're like, oh, I've been wanting to eat less and now I can kind of do it for God, but I'm, that's not a fast. That's, that's, that's not what he's talking about. The literal sense of the term is close your mouth. That's what, the, that's what it literally translates to. And it means don't eat at all. Now, in the days that the Bible was written, most of these people lived in agrarian life. And so you raised crops. And, and back then, it's not like you had these large combines you're taking care of and you had these irrigation systems. You're waiting for plants to grow, right? And so while you're waiting, you're not eating, right? And so there was these seasons that they would have of fasting. And so the, the, way I would, the way I would challenge you to fast in this 40 days starting on Wednesday, I, I, what we want to do is be comfortably uncomfortable. Comfortably uncomfortable. Like, I, you don't have to, to please God. You don't have to suffer for God to be happy. You don't have to be miserable for God to bless you. It's not that you should feel terrible, therefore you've earned God's grace. This is this is a wrong frame of mind. What we do, though, is we separate ourselves from some things that we rely on and begin to rely on God. We may skip meals so that we say, no, God, I, and this hunger is going to remind me and stoke a hunger for you. You may decide you're going to give up breakfast. You may decide you're going to give up sweets. Uh, I, I, in these times of consecration, I'll often drink my coffee black the entire time. And, and what is that? Is that a real fast? Well, it is for me right? Like that means something to me. And I know, okay, this is reminding me of who God is. I will skip meals. I won't eat for a day or two or three. Um, if you plan to eat 40 days, just have some food at home because in about three or four, you're probably going to eat, right? And so um, it, you, you, you want to be comfortably uncomfortable and ask the Lord what he would have you do. And if he doesn't say anything to you, decide in your heart what you're going to skip for 40 days. I, I woke up this morning and as I was praying, uh, the Lord told me to take social media apps off my phone as a, as a, as a, as a way of consecrating myself in this season. Um, is that a fast? I don't know, but I'm consecrating myself in this 40 days, in the days, in the moments that you automatically go to entertainment and you're programming your brain to constantly need stimulation. Perhaps God wants you to be still and at peace. And you're going to actually practice the discipline of stillness and peace in this 40 days. You, you, don't, you, don't have to, uh, you don't have to be perfect in any of this. Um, you, 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 don't, there, you don't have to do anything. Like if, it, if your fast means something to you, it'll mean something to God. If your fast means nothing to you, then it won't mean anything for God. And so I would challenge you all to do something in this season that would separate you for God. That would set apart time for God. Why we're doing this devotion is we are going to focus on some things outside of our normal focus so we could turn our heart to God. Traditionally in the church, Lent is used as a season of recognizing, of looking back and seeing, how did I get here? What have I done wrong in this season to get me here? How can I be a better person? There's a lot of debate on what prophecy is and what prophecy isn't. And I will tell you this, uh, it's not prophetic if you're not looking backwards to see how you got here. Prophecy is not fortune-telling. Prophecy is the ability to look at facts through the Spirit and see how God views them. And for some of us, hear me, some of us figuring out how you got here 
is far more important than any word you get about the future. Because the same thing that sabotaged your last prophetic word will sabotage this prophetic word because you don't recognize the lens you're looking at the world through. And so if we allow God to do the work in our heart so we can unpack the issues of this world and go through some countercultural spiritual formation and see the world through God's lens, then we can say, oh, I remember when God told me about this thing and I didn't do it and now my heart is here and now I'm in a place where I need that jump start again. I need to go back and see where I got to a place where my battery got depleted so when I get that jump start, I can hold it. Amen. And this is what I believe happens as we get introspective and we see what God wants to do in our lives. There is a reward that God has for you in fasting. And I hope that you would join with me on this in this 40 days and figure, figure these things out. The last thing he says is when you are praying. When you are praying. Matthew 6, chapter 7. Again, I'm going to quickly go through the Lord's Prayer. I've taught on this extensively. Uh, 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 I, I, I want to challenge everybody in this house. I want you to challenge your friends. I say this a lot, and I really want to drive... I, I just want to talk to you like friends. Hear me. Jesus really knew what he was saying. Like sometimes your favorite preacher will be figuring things out up here. Jesus was never figuring things out. He's got it all figured out because he built everything. Like, I, like, he built it. Like, he built this thing we're on. He built you, and he's actually sovereign. I found that God is more sovereign than I ever thought he was. God knew you were going to be here today. The tragedy you went through recently, he knew it was going to happen, and he allowed it to happen. And the question is, why? Why? What, how am I supposed to grow through this thing? How am I supposed to grow? Now, do not build a theology out of that, that God made you suffer. Don't build a theology out of that, right? But God knows that you live on a planet with fallen people. And God wants to grow you through that situation. And so we have to learn that Jesus knows what he's talking about. And so Jesus said here in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, And when you are praying, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. I'm going to try to make this very quick because I have a lot to say about this. I don't have a lot of time. Um, you would say, well, if I'm supposed to pray and God already knows what I need, why pray? Because the prayer isn't for God. It's for you. We're not informing Jesus of anything but we are connecting with him. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes you. And when you don't pray, you don't get changed. Right? He's like, so, so don't just, it's, don't memorize words and think the words are magical. We, 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 we have to get out of magic thinking. Magic thinking is, if something is in my head, I'll see it manifest in the natural. We see it mostly in psychosis. People believe, you know, it's in my head. Therefore, you know, like, and, and so I will talk to people and they'll be like, my grandmother got sick and, you know, I haven't been faithful to God. And if I've been faithful, I'm like, no, that's magic thinking. Your grandmother's cancer had nothing to do with what you're doing. We're all doomed if that's it, right? Like that's, but he says, when you pray, pray like this. Now, when you pray, he says, verse nine, pray then, in this way. 
So he says, when you give, give this way. When you fast, fast this way. And then he says, when you pray, pray this way. And then the thing that comes after it, he actually meant it. He actually meant this is how we're supposed to pray. Not every prayer, not every time. But he says, when you pray, pray this way. And then he has the Lord's Prayer. This is not just something the Catholics recite, right? He didn't just put this in here so the Catholics had something to do during Mass, right? Like this, it's amazing how many people who tell me they believe in the, that the Word of God is inerrant and they never pray this way. Like, is the Word of God authoritative or is it not? I would contend with you that it is. And if you do not regularly pray this way, you are missing out on God's blessing. He says, pray then this way. And, and our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, you can say those words. You can pray through this as you read the Scripture. But you have to pray through it, not if, with these words, but in this form. Pray this way. In this way, we start off with praising God. We declare, and there is something supernatural that happens on the inside of you when you get your mouth and you declare over your body and the, the, the realm around you that there is a God of heaven who is Lord over everything I see right now. I got some problems and I got some blessings and God is Lord over all of them. I have some strengths and I have some weaknesses and God is Lord over all of them. And only His name is to be hallowed. That means it is sacred. It is sanctified. It is set apart. It is something other than human. It is something other than carnal. Jesus Christ is the other. Whatever the other is from you, that's who Jesus is. He is the other. And Jesus is teaching us that the Father, is to, His name is to be hallowed. It is something we don't just flippantly say. He's not just the God who's going to help me get lotto. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the I am. He is the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. Our God is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the one who has a cattle on the thousand hills. He is the redeemer. He is the creator. He is the one who speaks worlds into existence. He is the one that there is nothing that would be existence if not through God. He is the lover of your soul. He is the redeemer of your life. He is the one who sent His Son to die on a cross, who shed His blood, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is who God is. And we got to remind ourselves and the stuff around us that I belong to that God. And that God is over my life. I am not defeated, but I am an overcomer because my God is the God of heaven and earth. Can you say amen? Come on, give a clap offering. He is God. He is God. And when we come to prayer, we have to start with a heart posture of you are God and I am not. We cannot start with, by the way, God, I need you to do this. God is not our customer service rep. We have to come to him recognizing he's God. This, this is the beginning. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I, I, I'm going to try to say this as briefly as possible, and if you know me, this is going to be complicated. You see this phrase, on earth as it is in heaven, in, 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 in revival circles a lot. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
This does not mean we're supposed to make earth in a way that I like. What this phrase means is in heaven, every knee bows and confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. In heaven, every single created thing up there recognizes and submits to the will of God. That there is nothing in heaven outside of God's will. Everything in heaven is absolutely submitted to God. And then we pray this radical, crazy, impossible prayer. The way everything in heaven submits to God's authority, I want that here too. Starting in me. I want there to be no rebellion against God in me. I want there to be no fear that keeps me from following God. I want to be radically, radically submitted to God's will. This is scary because there's a lot of things I pray about. Not sure my will is God's will. And yet I say, nevertheless, your will be done. The breakthrough I want in certain areas, God may be saying, not yet. And I'm like, um, oh, on earth as is in heaven. In heaven, there's no sadness. So that means you don't ever want me sad. And God's like, I need you to get sad because that's the only way you'll listen to me. I need you to go through a season of lack because that's the only way you will get my plan for your financial breakthrough. On earth as it is in heaven, in heaven, there, there's no whatever. He's like, yeah, no, this is not what that means. What that means is you stop questioning God about what he's doing. And you submit to his work in your life. That's radical. That's scary. Watch me. That's transformative. That positions your heart to let God come in and bring the peace that only he can bring. This is how we're able to live at peace with God. We completely submit to how he wants us to live. I had a, um, a divine appointment with, um, I'm 52, 52 so right? Yeah, I'm 52. Now, if you're, if you're under 30 or under 25, I'm going to use some wrong words probably. Don't judge me, okay? Just give me some grace, right? In this, in this world, there's areas you're allowed to judge people. Just hear my heart. So I, I talked to a, um, a transgender person. I'm not even sure how I'm supposed to refer to people. I don't know. I, don't wanna, I definitely don't want to offend anybody. And uh, if you're about to be triggered, don't, right? I'm not, I'm not going to say anything that's going to offend you. Well, I might. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you receive it. So I, was, I had this conversation with a transgender person, and, um, and I said, listen, I, I want to engage in this conversation with you. I, I, like, I hear what you're saying, um, and I want to ask questions. I have no agenda. I'm not going to try to convert you to my way of thinking. I have no hidden agenda. I genuinely want to ask some questions. And so their, um, their, their proposition was that the only cure for transgender people is to transition. And you may transition physically or just emotionally or how you present. And I'm like, explain that to me if you would. They're like, well, if you um, say this person was assigned female uh, when they were born uh, and as they got older, uh, they hated their breasts, right? And uh, that means that they had gender dysphoria, and the only cure for that is to do something about their breasts. And I'm like, and so you don't believe that this could be something psychological, you're telling me. They're like, absolutely not. If you don't like your body, you have to, you have to, you may undergo transition physically, but not necessarily physically. You may reassign your gender to whatever. And I'm like, okay, I, I hear what you're saying. We had dialogue for a little bit. And so I said, and, here, and here, here's, here's what I want you to hear. So I said, so you believe there's actually no hope for a person experiencing that to come at peace with their own body. 
They have no hope. There's no hope for them that they would, at some point, have peace with the body they were born into. And the only option they have is to disassociate from their physical body. That's it. That's all you have for them. That's the big answer you have is to do something to their body to fix what's going on in their head. There's absolutely no hope that there is a peace that could come into their lives that they have to not worry about what's happening externally because who I am is not defined by that. And they're quiet. And then they change the subject. And I don't say that to shame them. I say I have brought a paradigm that they had never thought of because there's, not a, there's a hope that I have that they have not experienced. There's a hope that I have in God that says, I do not like what I am in, but my God will turn everything the devil has done for bad and he will turn it for good. My God will do things in circumstances. As I look back over 23 years of marriage, to this beautiful woman, and I look at years of pain and years of conflict, and when I say years, I am not exaggerating. I am talking about years that were not good. I used to tell a joke. I used to say, we've been married 12 years, three of the happiest years of my life, right? Like, I, 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 and, but but as, as we have come now, as we now are on the backside of this thing, I, am, I, I cannot tell you how happy my marriage is. I cannot tell you my best friend is sitting on the front row. I, I, I can't tell you, I trust this woman in a way I've never trusted anybody in my entire life. We both submitted to the work of God in our lives and said there are some things that we need to get fixed in us so I can live at peace with the person you brought me with. And we both had to go through that. I had a hope that God could do what I could not do. But what I found was that required me to do what I didn't want to do. And in your life and in your situation, you may have to do what you don't want to do to get what God has for you. This, this, this person could not entertain the possibility that what was happening in a, um, a person with gender dysphoria, they could not entertain the possibility that any of them some of them. I wasn't saying all. I wasn't trying to use some blanket statement. I wasn't saying these people. I say, do you not believe that any, not even some, not even a few could come to peace with their own body? No, not possible. I'm like, oh, that's what a terrible way to live. What a tragic, what a tragic paradigm to be stuck in. I, I, I know that there are people who want to be at peace with themselves. And through Christ Jesus, you can. Your circumstance, like, you do not need to disassociate from your life in order to get peace. Us charismatics are the worst at this because we pray for revival. Not because we want people to come into the presence of God, but because we want God to rescue us from the mess that we made. Revival will come and change everything. No, revival will touch some people and then you'll go back to the same mess except now people will be disappointed that God didn't continue the touch because they didn't develop a framework to carry it. And so if you meet a transgender person and you tell them, well, Jesus Christ created you this way and you just need to submit, well, that, that's not as helpful as you think it is. 
that really is not as helpful as you think it is. But if you gave people hope that they could come to peace with where they are in life, that's gold. And I pray that they get saved and experience it. But I believe that seed of hope will change lives. And instead, we got politicians saying, well, here's what we'll do. Here's how we'll figure it. We'll outlaw it. Outlaw sin. Good luck on that one. Outlaw mental health issues. Good luck with that one. Can you outlaw some anxiety so I can sleep better? That would be, can you do that for me? Just pass a law. Pass a law that no one's allowed to be anxious, and then I'll be able to just sleep well all the time, right? Then, I, you know, then the bills come in, and I'm like, oh, I'd worry about this if it weren't against the law, but it's against the law, so I won't worry about it. Like, the government has no solutions to the problems that we are facing today. These are, these are, these are problems that require people who know Jesus and have experienced his compassion and are willing to show these compassion to people who are broken. We, this, we, listen, if you're older than 30, if you're older than 25, the people younger than you are suffering in isolation. And they disassociate from everything, from society. They sit in their rooms and stare at a phone all day and think that's an actual relationship. They are suffering. And the only answers we have are, don't be gay. Like, do you really think that's helpful? I know what we'll do. We'll ban abortion. Did you know that abortions are the lowest they have ever been since Roe v. Wade was passed? Like, it, it has increasingly gone down. Premarital sex in the last 20 years has increasingly decreased. Like, this is, this is not the problem. The problem is that these people do not know how to find peace because peace only comes by the grace of God. And we have to be people who share the grace of God with these people so they can come to a place where, watch this, in the fall, the Bible, if you read about the fall of man, when man sinned, when Adam sinned, they lost peace and relationship and connection with God. They lost peace and connection with one another, Adam and Eve. They lost peace and connection with the earth. Now they have to toil for work and they lost peace with themselves. They began experiencing anxiety. And the only way to fix that is to come in right relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, so that He would send the Holy Ghost of God who would transform you on the inside and be a helper so you can begin living according to God's will. Amen. Amen. Not so you can be good, so you can get peace. Peace is found in the presence of God. And this world desperately needs presence. Let God search your heart and surrender where you're striving. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would heal every person striving with you against your will. Father, anybody with uh, just, just issues that, you, that they think you did something wrong when you made them, that they're ugly or they're broken or they're the wrong identity or they're the wrong gender or they're too tall or too short or too dark or too light, hair's too curly, too straight, Lord, I pray that we would all see that peace comes from you in the name of Jesus. Let me finish here. Okay, Natalia, I just finished my introduction. No, I didn't. That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> That's not true. You guys got five more minutes for me? I know I'm going long. Do you have five minutes? Anybody got five minutes for me? Five minutes? Ten? Fifteen? Twenty? Okay, excellent. Perfect. That ought to be enough right there. All right, excellent. 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 Thank you very much. 
Uh, that's a preacher joke. You'll probably hear that a lot more times if you stick around. All right. And so, 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 so after he talks about this surrendering to Jesus, anybody here ever get anxious about finances? Yeah. So he says, learn to surrender to God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he said, after you surrender, pray to God for your finances. From a place of surrendering to God. Very next verse, 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh, I'm, I'm going to try to finish this up because I have so much to talk about this. For those of us who get addicted to trying to figure out the future, today's bread. Let, tomorrow's got its own problems. And so many of us spend our lives dragging tomorrow's problems into today. You know they tell you don't use credit cards because when you, when you use credit cards, you're spending next week's paycheck this week. Amen. Right? That's when you go in debt, you're spending next week's paycheck this week. And then you go into more debt, spending next month's paycheck this week. And you're like, that's a, that's a bad habit to get into. So a lot of us with anxiety, we, we get next, next week's worries and we just like, you know what? I don't have enough worries right now. Let me get some of next week's worries and I'll bring them into today. And what's really funny is when we get to next week, we're still worried about those things, except now we got next month's worries in that week as well. It doesn't, have you noticed it doesn't really solve the worry problem? Like worrying about them ahead of time is not like I'm fixing it ahead of time. I just like, I'm ramping up for the worry, right? Jesus like, just pray for today's bread. Just some of you need to get in your brain in this season. When, when it pops in your head about next month, you're able to say, I don't know. My God is the kingdom of heaven and earth. He's the kingdom of heaven and earth. I'm just going to worry about today. I'm, today is the day I am concerned about tomorrow. I will have grace to deal with tomorrow. And then he, so he tells us, tell him what you need. And then he says, forgive us our debts, verse 12, as we forgive our debtors. Now, he connects forgiveness. This is, this is <laughs> he connects forgiveness with how you live in peace. You want to live in forgiveness. You're going to have to forgive other people. Now, you have to ask for forgiveness to get that. What's beautiful about the Lord's Prayer is you have to actually repent of your sins. Formally, before God, recognizing that He is the Lord of heaven and earth. had another conversation with someone recently who was religious and told me that uh, if you sin over and over again, you're probably not really saved. And I was like, wow, so you stopped sinning at salvation? Please help me out with this. You somehow became Christ. Like, no. You. I was like, well, you know, help, help me understand then. Um, why, why did Jesus tell us to repent of sin every day? If, was Jesus wrong? Did, did he not know that there would be sin? No. We need to regularly search our hearts for sin. We need to come before God and get real and say, I lost my temper with my wife. It, it was her fault, of course, but I didn't need to lose my temper. If she was under more control, I wouldn't have lost control. But I did lose control, and that is my sin. Right? We have to recognize this. And some of you are so terrified to admit you did something wrong because you aren't walking in the peace of forgiveness. Repent of your sins, forgive the people around you, and you'll walk in more peace. Verse 13. And do not let, lead us into temptation. Come up, band, if you would. But deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever and ever. Everybody said... Keep us from temptation, 
deliver us from evil. Keep me from temptation, deliver us from evil. Keep me from temptation, deliver me from evil. You have a part to play in this. You have a part to play in this. Keep me from temptation. Deliver me from evil. Now some of you are dealing with things because you need deliverance. There may be a spirit afflicting your life and that thing may look like your mother-in-law. You know, it might, it, might, it, might, it might be your neighbor. It might be the person you call your best friend but who's really cursing you because of their bitterness. And you need deliverance because there is an ungodly soul tie where they're leading you away from the wisdom and knowledge of God. You need deliverance. And so we pray, Lord, I have temptations. I know I'm weak in this area. I know it's my habit to do this. And I'm praying that you would help me so I would not be tempted in those things. But there's also things I have no power over and I need deliverance. I need you to deliver me from those areas. I need you to come by the power of God and set a shield about me. That's something to do, right? So here's what I want to do. We've got a sign-up table in the back for our devotion. I, I pray that you would be part of it. You don't have to. You can do whatever you want. And it's not a panacea. But I want to pray. I want to pray today. I want to pray that we would submit to God. Resist the devil. And as the devil flees, I want you to begin to surrender. And come into God's plan for your life. That you're willing to do the hard work of giving. fasting and praying. I'm going to do the hard work of reframing my life in light of what God has told me. So Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I know under the sound of my voice, some of these things have convicted some people in this room. Wow, wow, wow. Father, I pray right now that there would not be condemnation and shame. I rebuke every mindset that has led you to condemnation and shame that is not from God. But I do pray for peace, hope, and love that can be found within the confines of Jesus. So right now, in your own way, I want you to repent. If any area in this has convicted you, and I want you to repent because I want you to be led into the land, the still waters and the green grass that God has for you. My wife and I are going to, after today, we're going to go away for a couple days to celebrate our anniversary. And 20-some years ago, 20-some years ago, 
if we did this without a fight, that would be, a, that'd be like a big win. Like if we went through a weekend not fighting, that was a win. Now I'm not concerned about that at all. We're just going to have fun, enjoying one another, enjoying each other's company. I'm, I'm telling you, that which I have received, I give to you. The ability to be humble enough to be transformed and walk in peace with people around you. Walk at peace with God. Walk at peace with where you are in life. And walk in peace with yourself. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, I, I pray. Father, I pray that you would help me. You would help me to walk in your love. You would help me to walk in your disciplines. You would help me to be submitted to what you're doing in my life. That I would again and again and again say, not my will, but your will be done. I, I pray that when you have me, this, this person who does not look like they fit into the church, and you have me extend compassion to them, that I am willing to extend compassion. When there's the person who has no spiritual home, I'm willing to invite them into the house of God, Father. When, I, when I'm fearful of my finances, I will still be faithful. I'll still be faithful to bless the poor and to, and to be faithful to you with my finances, Father. I pray that I would not allow fear to run my life, but I would boldly follow after the things that you have called me to follow after. I won't look at my own um, um, insecurities and how I deal with them and push you to the side and, and do those things, but I'll be present with my pain. I'll be present with my hurt. I'll be present with my insecurities. And I would trust that you will come and meet me in them. I would make room in my life that you could sit with me and I can find you in the midst of my pain, that I can find you in the midst of my hurt, that I can find you in the midst of my insecurities because you told us that's where we will find you. And Father, I pray that we would break these cycles of running from our pain, running from our insecurities, running from our fears. We would break the cycle of running from where you are into our own plan. We would break that cycle, but we'd be willing to stand and see that you are God in the midst of these things. That we would be able to stand with our pain and look it in the eye and say, my God is bigger than this. And I do not know how. I do not know when. But I do know that my God is good. And he will heal this thing so that I can walk in peace with God. Father, I pray right now for every person under the sound of my voice. They're saying, yes, that is me. That is me. I run from my pain. I run from my insecurities. I run from my hurt. I, it's hard for me to be present because I only know how to run from it and blame it on other people. I pray, Jesus, that they would put radical trust in you. They'd put radical hope in you. They would say today, I radically trust Jesus in my storm. I'm in this boat and the storm is rocking the boat and I feel at any moment this thing is going to sink. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, they will look out on the horizon and see you walking toward them on the sea. That they would see you walking toward them in the storm. That they would see you saying, peace, be still. I am with you. I will not forsake you. Stay with me. Stay with my plan. Trust what I'm doing. I am bringing my peace to your life. I'm bringing my kingdom to your life. And it will look radically different than what you have experienced. We 
desperately need you, Holy Ghost. It's the only way we can do this. We desperately need you, Holy Ghost. It's the only way we can do this. Listen, right now, put your faith in Jesus. Just tell him, Jesus, I, I don't know you fully. This is you. I don't, I don't know you the way this preacher is talking about. I, I, I'm, I'm, I wanna, I'm willing to try. I want to put my hope in you so that he can fill you with his Holy Ghost and you can walk in peace. You can walk in hope. You don't have to disassociate from your life to find joy. You can find it right there because his name is Jesus. Now I'm going to wait a moment and I'm not going to call anybody forward. But if you feel that God's beginning to move on your life and this is for you, as the Lord begins to touch you, I just want you to stand and receive it. I just want you to do something to respond to what God is saying. Yes, Lord, I will trust you in these things that I've been anxious about. Yes, Lord, I will submit to your ways and things that I don't want to forgive others, but I know you're telling me to forgive. Yes, God, I will put Jesus at the center of my life. You are more important than what I have been doing. You are the God of hope. You are the God of hope. And the devil has told me what my future looks like. But I'm committing to the house of God. I'm committing to sit under the preached word. I'm committed to, to countercultural spiritual formation. I'm committed today to return to my first love. I'm committed today. I'm making a commitment today. I'm responding. I'm responding. Positioning myself for your peace. Position yourself for his peace. I need your peace in my life, Lord. And today I stand and say I'm a candidate for your ways, for your instruction, for your direction. The devil has built a house of fear for you. The devil has built a house of frustration. And some of you, he has built a house of self-confidence instead of confidence in God. Christ has become optional. And he's not. We just sing this over you. Get off your life in the name of Jesus. You gotta walk in it. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Sickness is not my story. You are, you are. Heartbreak's not my home. You are, you are. Death is not the end. You are. We're gonna sing that again. Everybody stand if you would. We're gonna sing it together. You may not be singing it for you, but you're gonna sing it for the people around you. We're gonna welcome in a presence of God that heals. We're going to welcome in a presence of God that makes whole. We're going to welcome in a presence of God that, that love comes and casts out fear. You are 
fear is not my future. You are, you are. Sickness is not my story. You are, you are. In the name of Jesus. Heartbreak's not my home. You are, you are. Death is not the end. You are, you are. Fear is not my future. You are, you are. Sickness is not my story. You are, you are. Heartbreak's not my home. You are, you are. Death is not the end. You are, you are. Sickness is not my story. You are, you are. Heartbreak not my home. You are, you are. Death is not the end. Come on, let's walk in the promise of God. You are, you are. Hello, hello. Hello, peace. Hello, joy. Hello, love. Come on, sing it out. Hello, strength. I just pray for any person in the sound of my voice who needs breakthrough. In the name of Jesus, I command, in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command every foul and wicked spirit that has tormented you, every spirit of poverty that has tormented you, every spirit of depression that has tormented you, every spirit of anxiety, every lie that's been spoken over your life, I declare the blood of Jesus over you, and I command it to flee seven ways in the name of Jesus. Receive the Holy Ghost. Receive the Holy Ghost. Receive the Holy Ghost. Receive the Holy Ghost. Come on, 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 come on. Fear is not my future. You are, you are. Sickness is not my story. You are, you are. Heartbreak's not my home. You are, you are. Here it comes. And death is not the end. You are, come on, come on, you come on. are. Fear is not my future. You are, you are. Sickness is not my story. You are, you are. Heartbreak's not. 
name of Jesus, I declare over these people, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance on you. Let's say it together. And give you peace in the name of Jesus. Come on, give a clap bar from the Lord. Come on, if you need somebody to lay hands on you, you can come to the front. We would love to pray for you. Ha, whoa, 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 whoa. If you need the peace of God, just, just lay in it for a second. Just, just soak in it for a second. Let the Lord touch.